Christmas in July, y'all feeling it? Y'all seeing it? I remember when I was a kid, uh, I, I was about Macaulay Culkin's age when this, the first Home Alone came out, and uh, people thought I looked like him. And uh, I, don't, I don't think I did, I don't know, but I would be in Walmart sometimes and random people would come up to me and make me do the aftershave. I put my hands on my face and yell, and I remember just being so embarrassed and doing whatever. But th there's nothing like being forgotten. You know, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, if you've, ever, if you've ever had that that feeling of being forgotten, or you find out that, uh, you know, all your friends got together, but you find out the next day, have you had that happen? You're like, I thought we were friends, like we didn't even know you all were getting together, but that's all right. Um, and, uh, and so there's nothing like being forgotten. I remember one time when I was, uh, when Rosie was in preschool, she was going to preschool at, in, in Coal Run, and we lived at Harold, and, I, so I, and my office was in Pikeville, and I, I came to, 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 to work in Pikeville. Bethany would usually take Rosie and drop her off at preschool. And she asked me one morning, she's like, can you take her? She had something else to do. I said, sure, I can take her and drop her off. And I took her. Got halfway there. <laughs> and... And, and, and I didn't drop her off. I was driving, and we came through Coal Run. We got almost to Pikeville, and, and, and just soon we finished that, past that light at Big Lots where Big Lots used to be. You know, it's in rural towns. Everything direction-wise is the old Big Lots. You know what you say? Or the, or the old Big Lots. We never say what it is now. But anyway, we got past that light, and I heard from the back seat, uh, Dad, where's my school? And we had passed it up like she knew. Dad, you've left me in the back seat. I'm not going to work with you. Where's my school? You forgot that I was even here. And uh, she probably remembers that. Do you remember that? There you go. So we never forget it. And, and so you may have had that feeling. Like I said, friends, or maybe you didn't make the team that you thought you should make, or, or maybe you don't just you feel forgotten, but you feel invisible. Like nobody sees you, like you don't have any value, or like your work doesn't matter, or it doesn't count. Maybe you didn't make the team, maybe you got skipped over for the promotion. Um, maybe you took a new job and you thought, man, all my, all my coworkers are going to miss me so much at my old job. And then it goes a month and you don't hear from them, and six months and you don't hear from them, and like you never hear from them again. You're like, well, maybe we weren't friends. And so maybe you have all those, th those feelings, and we all know at some point, some situation in our life, man, we felt that, and it's not a good feeling. But even worse than that is the times we may feel and we wonder, did God forget me? Has God forgotten my circumstances? Has God seen my situation? How could I end up in this place in life if there really is a God? How could I end up in a place where I've made all these mistakes and I've burned all these bridges? Or, or maybe you, you, you end up in this place and you just suffered some kind of abuse or trauma in your life that was nothing of your own doing, just it got forced upon you. Or maybe you got some health report, or maybe you've gone through a divorce and it's messy and the kids are here and there. Maybe you're just in this, this situation that doesn't make sense and you think God how can you be in the middle of this what we're going to try to do this morning is we're going to give God that situation okay the, the place that we are in presently in life the, the, the truth is uh, that God can use the bad in your life that has happened to you, and he can use the bad in your life that you've done, and he can use it for good right now. We're going to figure out how to do that. How do, I, how do I join God at work 
in life like that. Um, and, and so I want to say this, like to do this, it starts with a fresh heart, a heart that says, God, search me for any selfish ambition. Search me, search my heart for that that's driving me. Get rid of any bitterness that's paralyzing me. I want to see your, your purpose in this situation in life. I, I want to just say this. With the right perspective, you can always find purpose in your position. With the right perspective, you can always find purpose in your position. And by position, I don't mean your job title. I just mean your circumstances and situation in life because we're going to be talking today about Esther. We're going to look at Esther's position, her situation. We're going to look at two things. We're going to look at her past, and we're going to look at her present. And we're going to try to understand what is the position that she is in, and how does God use that, and how, what, what is Esther's posture that allows God to use her in that situation. And that's what we want most for our hearts. Here's what I can tell you is true. Uh, if, you, if you're changing jobs, positions, locations, if you just moved here in the last couple of weeks, maybe you're a student, maybe you're working at the university, maybe you're working here in town, and you just moved to Pikeville, it's not by accident, okay? If you're here, God's got a purpose for you. If you are here and you were raised here and your mamaw was raised here and your mamaw's mamaw's mamaw was raised here, you have purpose in Pikeville. If you are here and you're part of, part, of, part of the kingdom of God, his family, you have purpose where you are. You don't have to move and go across the sea to find mission and purpose. Okay? So we're going we're gonna to figure out how do we find purpose in our position. Let's look at Esther and her story. Uh, uh, first, let's be reminded of this truth in Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For them, he's called each and every believer. You have a gift and you have purpose that is called by God. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Let's read, starting in Esther. We're going to be in Esther chapter 2, just a little bit of context. If you missed last week, we talked about um, uh, 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 unrestricted unre uh, uh, appetites, unrestrained appetites. King Xerxes, he was the leader of the Persian Empire, 127 provinces, a majority of the known world at the time from, from parts of Africa to India were all under his rule, and he was hungry for more. He had this huge party, six-month kegger, out of control, and, and, and then he, he, he gets mad at his wife, his queen, Vashti, because she won't do what he says. Who wants her to come out? And she won't come, so he banishes her. And they set forth a plan to eventually call in a new queen. Okay, between chapter 1 and chapter 2, four years pass. The reason he was having the big party is because he wanted to go attack Greece and take over more of Europe because no matter how much you have, you know what you want. More. That's human nature. He wanted more. Destructive mindset. So he's going to go conquer Greece, and they go to conquer Greece, and he's going to come back the victor, but instead he comes back humiliated. Loses. Embarrassingly. Comes back humiliated, and that's where we pick up in, 
in, in, in Esther chapter 2. I don't have the first four verses on the screen, but I want to read them to you. And if you have your Bible, Esther 2, starting in verse 1. But after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree he had made. Remember, we said, smells like regret. I got rid of my queen to go fight a war. I was drunk and I was arrogant. I went and lost the way. There's a, there's a proverb that says, a haughty spirit goes before a fall. He has now fallen, and he's finding regret. He's remembering what he'd done. He's remembering Vashti, remembering the decree he had made. He was depressed. He was, he was down on himself. So his personal attendants suggested, let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. <coughs> let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa. Hegai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, will see that they are all given beauty treatments. After that, the young woman who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king, so he put the plan into effect. We get to Esther 2.5, and we're not going to read all this in order. There's a lot of verses. We're going to go through 20 verses. We're going we're to take it and look at it in chunks at a time. Right now, we're looking at Esther's past. So who was Esther? Where is she from? What's her story? What's her position? At that time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shimei. His family had been among those who, with King Jehoiakim of Judah, had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. Enter Esther. First time the character steps into the story in which the book is her namesake. We found Esther. Second sermon. Didn't talk about her last week. Today we're talking about her. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. So that's, that gives you a little sight into the past. I'm going to give you a little bit of context. Uh, uh, um, Esther is a Jew. She's a Jew, and she's part of a family of Jews and a tribe of Jews who were taken from their hometown of Jerusalem and carried away in captivity by the Babylonian Empire, and they remained there, and now Babylon has fallen, and Persia is now the empire and the leader, and they live in the capital city of Persia, Susa. When I say, have you ever felt forgotten... You remember that the Jews had, had been told over and over in generations that they, were, that they were God's chosen people. And here they were living in a pagan culture, feeling like they had been forgotten, been abandoned by God. And I know that had to be in her mind. She was also, when, we don't know how old, but young enough that she had to be raised by her cousin that her mom and dad had, had passed away at some point. She lost her parents. And her older cousin, Mordecai, adopted her, if you will, and raised her as his own. I don't know what your past is or what it looks like, but I, I, can, I can think Esther, man, could have been here, could have been jaded, could have gotten to a victim mindset, could have thinking, look about how well, everything bad has happened to me, look where I'm at, I'm in this pagan, pagan empire, and I've lost my mom and dad, had to be raised by my cousin, you know, and she could have had that perspective, and that's the perspective the enemy wants us to get into, to think God has forgotten us. And even though he's not mentioned in this passage, he's everywhere in this story. 
And even though you may not see them directly in your life right now, and you think, God, the circumstances are so messy, you have to believe and know that there is purpose in your position right now where you are in life and the way things are. There's purpose. And she could have got into that perspective and thought, man, I'm a victim, but she didn't get there. She, she looked and she began to see, what is God doing? Is he here? Am I part of it? Because you know what? Th there's no way that she could have decided to have been born in that place. <laughs> right? God put her there. And he's going to use her there. We find throughout the story, and you've got to know a little bit of the end of it to know the significance of today. So I'll give you a little preview, all right? We're going to take it slow, but here's the spoiler alert. All right, Esther becomes queen. The king doesn't know that she's a Jew. Somebody on the king's staff is going to get mad at the Jews and try to have them all killed, and there's going to come a point. Esther's got to make a decision. Do I go to the king and reveal who I am and try to save my people, or do I not? And she does. And God saves his people. This is the story being orchestrated here today when we look at Esther's position and her past. And, and so this, the famous line here that we have on the, the sermon slide is for such a time as this. And that's the famous verse in this book. And, and we think, gosh, if I just had that moment in my life that eventually I could be the one that's going to make this courageous decision to go to the king, save an entire nation, that'll be awesome. The reality is that every believer has for such a time as this moment every single day. You following me? It doesn't have to be this big thing. It doesn't have to be at a level. You see, God has uniquely gifted you and positioned you and brought you from birth. He's known you before you were born and brought you into this place where only you can reach a certain person the way that I can you with me for a minute? He has given you a unique... And, and as long as you wake up and you think, God's not hearing me or my circumstances are all a mess, and you don't see the fact that when your feet hit the floor, you're on mission, you're going to respond in fear and not faith. You're going to be hesitant. You're going to be stepping back and holding back from what God has called you to. So that's her past. I don't know what your past is. Could be good, bad, confusing, messy biggest mess you probably could write a book i don't know but it doesn't matter we're gonna look at her present where she ended up now she's gone through this here's where she is here's how god's using her present where she where she at right now esther 2 8 as a result of the king's decree esther along with many other young women was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of susa and placed in Haggai's care before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was given the prescribed 12 months of beauty treatments. Who's signing up in here? Got any volunteers? 12 months of spa and Ulta and all the good stuff. This is crazy. This is essentially the Miss Persian pageant. Miss Persia pageant, okay? If you can imagine that, you may have seen the Miss USA pageant where people from every state or you know girls from every state and they win their state and then they go and they're competing to become Miss USA well this is essentially what the king is doing and and the historian Josephus said there was about 400 women that were selected and brought to this harem and brought in and he was going to he was going to meet each one of them one evening at a time and he was going to pick and this is the situation Esther finds herself in 
And we know she's not told anybody she's a Jew. Everybody thinks she's Persian. And now she's in this 400, and she's waiting for her turn with the king. Twelve months, okay, of beauty treatments. Six months with oil of myrrh, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments. This is like Ulta on steroids. You don't know what this culture had and what they were doing. Like, you can't even imagine what was happening right here. For 12 months, can you just stop for a minute and think, for a year, you're going to do nothing but get pampered. Now, I know after the year, it's not so great. But for a year, they're getting pampered, all these beauty treatments. We find more about Esther. It says she was the daughter of Abihel, who was Mordecai's uncle. When it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai, who was basically the king's assistant and overseeing. He was the guy put in charge over all these 400 and getting them ready to go. And, and, and it says she accepted the advice of Haggai, the eunuch in charge of the harem. She asked for nothing except that he, what he suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw her. So she's in the 400. It's almost her turn. <coughs> she asked Haggai, she's like, whatever you think I should take, I'll take. I'll wear, I'll do whatever you think I should do. It says Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his region. That's where we find out it's been four years. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. I want to I say something here. Um, that, that in this, this great pageant, there's only one judge, and it's the king. And, and I can't imagine that in these 400, there was, there was much difference from, from what maybe a superficial uh, assessment of their beauty or their, their physical uh, appearance. I mean, they're 400. They all got the, the, the Ulta on steroids in the 12-month spa, and they picked from the best of the provinces. I, I, I can't imagine that it was the, a, a physical thing that when he looked at Esther, said, tonight, this one I give the crown. I feel like beauty might be a little more than skin deep. I feel like it might have been her character. That spoke to him more than her looks. So find that she finds favor with Haggai. She finds favor with the king. And, uh, and I really don't know any other way to say this than, you know, I, I would imagine of the 400, there probably was like a brat or two. I mean... I don't know any other way to say it. I just can't imagine of those 400 that they all have this heart of humility and kindness and generosity. I feel like it could have been cutthroat in some ways and places. I feel like it could have been reality TV on MTV is what I'm thinking. Okay? And so he meets Esther, and what happens if, if you spend the evening with the king and he doesn't crown you, you go to this second harem, this other house, and you stay there, and, and, and you stay there, guess how long if he never calls you back? Forever. Yet when he meets Esther, and, and I can somewhat relate to this, I'm not advocating for love at first sight necessarily, but I remember uh, meeting Bethany and thinking, if she will date me, I will never stop dating her. Right, that's what I knew. Like, that is the one 
She, there's something different about her. And if any of you guys are married, that is true of your wife as well. And, 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 and I knew, and like I would, if I had a crown, I didn't. I had D's and C's on my report card. I didn't have a crown, but if I had a crown, I would have given it to her. But he knew that night, immediately, something about Esther said, here you go. And then, and then he goes and he throws a major banquet to celebrate the occasion. He gave his great banquet in Esther's honor for all his nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. I mean, like that. It's almost like God is at work. It's almost like God has given Esther an element of favor. It's almost as if God is using in Esther's lives all the broken, messy pieces that she probably would have been heard about actually for his purposes and his good. Would you like to see that in your life? We're like, no, the broken, the things I'm hurt about and upset about, uh, 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 to begin to see and see God reveal and see those in your life and how he's using them for good, and that's exactly what's happening in Esther's life here. I want you to know really, really two things. Um, you know, how, how, how can I find purpose in my position, in my circumstances? Uh, one thing that we can learn from Esther, and it's this, it's character matters. Character really matters. Many of you I've talked about, and you've been in messy situations, and, and the best advice I can give, one, you trust Jesus, give it all to him. And the second, and, and next practical thing is you've got to do the next right thing. It doesn't matter if you're in the middle, if you've, if you've caught up in an affair, if, you've, if you're on your way to jail, if you're, like, the next right thing is be honest, tell the truth, like, whatever it is. Every sin from here digs the hole deeper, and you've got to start digging out. Like, sin has consequences. And character affects our ability to lead as believers. You will hear me say over and over, please don't try to do good enough to get to heaven. You can't do that. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about... You know, if you want to get to heaven, you've got to have good character. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying to get to heaven, you've got to put your faith in Jesus Christ and his character gets you to heaven, okay? But if you are going to lead in his church and be on, uh, on, uh, on his side and, and build a reputation and lead and follow him, he calls us into holiness and righteousness. Even if you look at the, the, the requirements of an elder, uh, one of the lines that always sticks out to me above everything else, it says, above reproach. During your time as a believer, you're above reproach. Nobody can say, he professes to be a Christian, but, right? And then tells the story aside from it. So your character matters. Do the next right thing. We know she pleased Haggai. She must have been kind. She must have been uh, humble. She must have been... I, like, I don't know what the things were, but there was something there about her character that was different than the rest of them. It says Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He got her a special menu. I mean, she got the next, next level treatment because of her character, humility, wisdom. 
we find in verse 20, she had the wisdom. It says, Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was observing. She was relational. She understood what was going on. That if she told this right now, it, it would not work out well. And we find that she was obedient. She listened to Mordecai. It says, even when she, was, when she lived with him at home, she was a good child. She was obedient. We find Esther's character. And the last thing I want you to see is really perspective. I want you to, to realize that life is not a series of decisions where you can derail some major purpose God has for your life. Sin can affect your ability to lead, but it's not going to derail God's ultimate purposes. <laughs> okay? It may change God's purpose for you and how He's going to use you, but you never get so much sin or so broken and so messed up that God can't use you. There is always hope. Okay, I want you to hear me say that. I want you to have this perspective, and I want you to. And if you don't get this, here, here's where you will will end up. You think that the only way I can be happy and find purpose is if my circumstances change. Think only only if I if I get the new job or this deal goes through or if my marriage is restored or my, my health is restored or like if my circumstances would change and things would change, then, then I would find purpose. But I just don't feel purpose, you know, teaching at this school or, or working on this construction site or, or, or at this place anymore. I just can't, or, or being a stay-at-home mom or whatever those things in your life are. You, your perspective will get all messed up and the enemy will get you to think, man, if you, it's got to be different for you to actually live into your purpose. You got too much baggage, you got too many things, God can't use you. He'll get you thinking that. If you don't get this idea of perspective, then then you will also uh, your joy will be stolen through stolen through comparison. You will compare yourself to everybody else. And then they got it all together, their family's perfect, got it suburban, you got everything, man. Perfect kids. You don't know what happens when they close the door. You don't know what's going on. You compare to somebody that's singing or, or, <coughs> or, or you know, the way they look or you're not tall enough or you're, you're not skinny enough. Like the, the joy of comparison, you think, <coughs> my circumstances are just not what you know, theirs are, so I can't serve like them. <coughs> if you don't get this, You'll get in this cycle of negative self-talk and beating yourself up. But here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I don't want you to be hurt by your circumstances, by the past, by what someone's done from you. I want you to get rid of the the bitterness. I want you to say, God, show me how you're going to use that. I, uh, 
I want you to search your own heart. I want to search my heart and say, God, is there any selfish ambition in the things I'm saying? What, is it just about me? If there is, show that to me. And I want to lay it down for you. I want to give you my situation. See, because th this purpose is not about Esther being queen. This purpose is not about us getting what we want and having shiny things. Actually, Jesus taught us that we've got to be willing to lay all those things down. And when we go to follow him, it's probably going to be more suffering than it is honor. But the purpose that we're talking about today is purpose of joining God in his work in his kingdom to bring hope to a broken world. And you got purpose in that, unlike the person sitting beside you. You go to a place I can't go. You talk to people I can't talk to. You have stories I don't have. You can relate to people I can't relate to. I can relate to people you can't relate to. Yours isn't better than mine. Mine isn't better than yours. This is the body of Christ. This is how it works. He's the grand architect. He didn't get it wrong. He didn't mess you up. You are who you are, and you were made to be that person. And so until we realize, God, this is the circumstances, this is the place you've put me, I'm not going to keep thinking it's got to change. I'm going to go into it on a mission field. Monday morning, I'm showing up as a missionary in life. It doesn't matter where you work, what you do, teacher, coach, construction, legal, I don't care, nurse, health care, you, you name it, it doesn't matter. You are on mission as a believer with Christ. Are you breathing? Anybody in here breathing? Anybody awake? All right. Anybody breathing? Anybody not breathing? Say amen. If you're breathing and you're a believer, you have purpose. Don't believe the lie. You have purpose, and God is inviting you to live into it, to accept the way that things are and say, God, use them. Show me how to reach people with you and through you and for you. This verse is simple. You how, how you do that. Jesus taught it like this. He said, you are speaking to you. You. Not your neighbor. You. You are the light of the world. As a believer in Christ, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I think about it like this. You know, we got this thing outside called the sun. You all know what the sun is? good job me and harker been having this conversation didn't know you know he now knows it's a star and all that good stuff so we got this big sun out here but you go out there and you're going to find shadows everywhere right you know i grew up in, in mcgoffa county there's two sets of arnets arnets if you're down there there's shade tree arnets and there's the black arnets the black arnets worked outside and got tans The shade outside, I'll find it. 
So you got the big sun and the shade, and it creates shadows. And I like to think of it as you've seen these new light, these LED lights, strand of lights, and all these little bulbs on it. I think of the church and believers like that. Like you can get into the shadows and the nooks and crannies of places I can't get by preaching on Sunday morning. I can't preach to your workplace or your family in the way that you can and lead them. I can't, I can't preach to your classroom or your friends like you can just by living Christ in front of them and sharing when you've, you've generated some curiosity. It's like, why are you the way you are? So let me tell you, there was a man. His name is Jesus. And so we look at the, our situations, and they, they don't make sense. They're, they're confusing. I look at mine. How did I end up in Pikeville? You all have heard me share this story if you've been around long enough. Uh, I came because I was, uh, when I was a senior in high school, I was mad at somebody else at Morehead State, so I said, I'm going to Pikeville College, and you all can have it. That's the story of my ministry in Pikeville. <laughs> God used that. I'm here. I got to see it. So, God, man, I feel, I know now why I'm here and what he's called me to and what he's doing. I want you to see those things in your life that even if you're bedridden, deep in addiction, recently divorced, moved to a new place, if you're breathing and a believer, you have purpose to be light. In darkness, I think of the Bible stories of Abraham being invited out of his hometown into the unknown. Makes no sense. He just lived into his situation. Think about Noah. Hey, Noah, it's going to flood. Never rained, but it's going to flood. Makes no sense. He just lived into his situation. Daniel going into the lion's den. Preached a sermon once called The Lions in Daniel's Den. Didn't make sense, but he lived into a situation. Mary, when she became pregnant as a virgin, did not make sense. It was revealed to her, Mary, you've been chosen, and your son's going to be the Messiah. His name is going to be Jesus. She lived into her situation. Jesus born lived the character that we can never live that gives us hope of eternity found himself on the cross we deserve and in the garden the night before he said not your will or not my will but yours father he lived into the situation that he was given Ephesians 2.10 says we are Christ's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good things that he prepared in advance for us to do every believer has purpose Psalm 139 one of Bethany my wife's one of her favorite passages starting in verse 13 it says you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb thank you for making me so wonderfully complex your workmanship is marvelous is that how you talk about yourself No, we, we point out all our own faults. It's offensive to the one who made you. It's offensive to God when I, when, I, when I use my own, my handicaps that I think I've got, my shortcomings. It's good to be humble. 
but when I make it, that as an excuse to not do what he's calling me to do, it, it's offensive. He says, David said, your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. We're going to invite the worship team to come back up. So I've invited you to be like Esther and do the next right thing to live into the, the to the place that she was her her past and her present and the way that it all worked together uh, this is not unique to Esther it's true for each and every one of our stories and if you're here this morning and and, and not a believer I want you to know that um, that you're going to spend a lifetime trying to find significance and purpose and without knowing the one who made you who created you in the womb, you're going to come up empty. I'm going to invite you into relationship with Jesus Christ because it didn't make sense that he was on the cross in our place, that he died while we were yet sinners. He died for us. But he didn't end there. He went to a grave and then he bust out of it <laughs> and left it empty, showing the power and the significance and the truth of who he was. And when you believe that, that yes, that's the Jesus. I put my faith in him. I'm telling you, your life is never the same and your eternity <laughs> is changed forever. So this morning I invite you to find purpose. Look at all the mess in your life. Give it to God and say, use it right now. Search my heart, guide my character. Let me have the right perspective every single day. Jesus, we come to you with humbled hearts, thankful. That in seasons where we just wonder if you're even here, that you never leave us, that you never forsake us. That when we're doing our own thing, when we, we failed to put our trust in you, we put our trust in ourselves. God, you're still just watching and caring and loving us, inviting us and drawing us to you revealing yourself to us. We just pray today to be a day and we grow one step closer. God, that you take these lives, these light bulbs, these small lights all around this room and we're all equal in your kingdom. We all have the same value and significance whether I'm up here or down there. It doesn't matter. I use these people to push back darkness in our neighborhoods and in this place in ways you've never done. In Jesus' name I pray.